As we want to continue today through a short series that I'm calling A Time For, we want to continue to think through how we should be thinking and reacting during this time of coronavirus as we endure the effects of that, especially a quarantine. We want to be faithful and we want to be spiritually fruitful during these days. And so far, I've made the point that we should be humble, that this is a time for humility, that the first step, despite our resilience and our all of our resourcefulness, that our first step is to really humble ourselves before God, to be dependent upon him, to cry out to him. We're also to be joyful. This is a time for joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice, Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. And so uh, it is incumbent upon us to have joy even in the midst of hardship. Joy then gives way to contentment. This is a time for contentment. And Paul says, I have learned to be content in any and every circumstance. And so today, I want to conclude with praise. This is a time for praise. This is a time to praise God. So let's pray. Father, as we come to the scriptures today, many of them, we come with hearts that are, are full and sometimes hearts that are anxious. And, and uh, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to look to your word as the only ultimate resource for joy, for confidence, for hope in whatever the various circumstances we find ourselves in today. And so we commit our time to you and trust that you are with us and that you will enable us to understand the truth through the, the presence and the power of your spirit. Amen. There are many definitions of praise, but I want to go with this one. To praise God is to express God's worthiness of our glory and devotion and why he is worthy of them. To praise God is to express. It actually means to articulate. Now, it might be articulating it in how you think, in your hearts, but it's being articulate. And it is to express God's worthiness. His worthiness, that means that there is a delight and a treasuring in praise. And he is worthy of our glory and our devotion. And praise has to do with why. It must express why God is worthy of our glory and devotion. The Bible is filled with praises for God. Sometimes it uses different words for praise to express praise, such as bless, glorify, give glory to, extol, exalt, magnify, declare, ascribe, but these are all just other words for praise. Sometimes there is praise without using the word praise or these other words for praise. Like in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah is, uh, sees the Lord on his throne and he sees the, the angels flying around above the throne crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's praise. Often we find praise joined together with thanksgiving which is a form of praise. We often see praise in song. 
that praises are sung with music. In all of the scriptures, the most praise-saturated portion is the Psalms. Now, that probably comes as no surprise. You can barely read a psalm without coming across words of praise. In the New Testament, the most praise-saturated texts are the doxologies, where praises suddenly erupt out of the New Testament text, uh, giving glory to God. Praise, then, is a central aspect of worship. It's a central aspect of worship. And I would even say that we can't worship God without praising Him. Because the essence of praise is treasuring God, adoring God, prizing His glory and prizing His worth. And so, if humility is the soil in which joy is rooted, and joy leads to contentment, then Joy and contentment end, they culminate in praise to God. In light of all that the world is going through, and our country and our communities, our conclusive response must be praise, to praise God. Why is enduring this pandemic a time for praise? Well, I'm glad you've asked. And let me distill the answer to that question in four reasons. Four reasons this is a time for praising God. Number one, this is a time for praise because God is always worthy of praise. God is always worthy of praise. Let's look at Psalm 29, verses 1 through 3. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Ascribe means recognize his glory and strength, proclaim his glory and strength that they belong to him, and then treasure him for it. Psalm 145, verses 1 through 3. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. If he is greatly to be praised because of his greatness and his greatness is unsearchable, then praise is infinite. It has to be without end. Psalm 47, verses 6 and 7. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. Why? For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. Now, in these next psalms, notice how all-consuming praise is, how praise fills the heart and dominates the mind. Psalm 104, verses 33 and 34. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. See the connection between joy and praise. 
Psalm 146, verses 1 and 2. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. To have being is to praise God. In other words, life itself finds its meaning, finds its value, finds its fulfillment in praising God and actually exalting Him. Psalm 113, 1 through 3. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. In other words, all of the day's routines, even when they're completely thrown off, they are all to be saturated with praise from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. As the book of Psalms closes, the praise only intensifies. Psalm 148, verses 1 through 5. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded, and they were created. So here, everything is the, the heavens, the heavenly throne room, the angels, everything that's above us, and even the non-living celestial bodies, the sun, the moon, the stars, they are called upon to praise God. Psalm 150, the final psalm in the book of Psalms. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I could just scrap my sermon and just do nothing but read psalms out loud. Maybe that would be better. But in any case, you can see how the, the book of Psalms even ends with this, this crescendo of praise. That God must be... He must be spoken of. Those things that are true about him must be treasured and proclaimed. He is to be praised. Now, these are just a few examples from the Psalms. I'm not even going to go to the book of Isaiah, Daniel, and Jeremiah, and Nehemiah, where we continue to find more and more praises and prayers of praise. Well, what about these doxologies in the New Testament? They likewise extol the worthiness of God. And as I said before, they just erupt out of the text with adoration and awe, as if the writer is just going along and suddenly he, he just can't go any farther without giving God glory. For example, Romans chapter 11, verses 33 and following. Oh, the depth 
of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And Paul just erupts with this word of praise as he's talking about how God has included the Gentiles and set Israel aside, and yet he will deal with Israel again and save them. And then he just erupts into this praise because there is no way the meager wisdom of man and all of the the scheming and all of the possibilities of understanding what God is up to could ever be attained on our own. We could never attain it on our own. And so he extols the, the wisdom of God. In the face of dangerous false teaching and the danger of apostasy, Jude writes this, doxology now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory majesty dominion and authority before all time now and forever amen Having realized and recalled his former life of violence and blasphemy and unbelief, the Apostle Paul again overwhelmed with God's mercy on him. Erupts in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. It's almost like the New Testament writers are going along and they're digging up this, these great riches of truth and they're teaching this and they're, they're explaining the mind of God and opening up and all of a sudden they crack into a geyser and it just comes out in, this, in these words of glory to God. From beginning to end, praising God is a comprehensive all-consuming, joy-filled way of life for those who belong to him, both for each of us personally as a child of God and for all of us corporately as the people of God. Because he is worthy, all because he is worthy of that kind of praise, that constancy of praise, that depth of praise, that intensity of praise. Praise begins with recognizing and acknowledging God's worth, that he deserves glory. He deserves worship. And when the psalmist says in Psalm 29, verse 2, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, he isn't saying, be dutiful, Check off the right box. No, he's saying treasure these things about God. Find your rest in them. Glory and bask in them. We do not offer praise to God like we pay our taxes. We are to praise him with adoration. 
This is a time for praise because in the midst of a pandemic, which brings illness, death, economic hardship, God remains forever worthy of praise. Secondly, this is a time for praise because praising God completes joy. Praising God completes joy. In other words, joy is not fully experienced until it is expressed through praise. I owe this observation to others, but ultimately it is to C.S. Lewis and his work Reflections on the Psalms, where he writes, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. Praise is joy's appointed consummation. And then he illustrates it this way. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. If one could really and fully praise things to perfection, by things here he means anything, if we could really ever praise anything fully, then indeed the object would be fully appreciated and our delight would have attained perfect development. Now, think about it, because we do this all the time. We do it with movies. Hey, have you seen such and such? Oh, it's great. It's about this guy, and we go into the story, the movie's plotline. We do it with books that we read. We do it with music that we love. We do it with a great meal. Hey, have you tried the burger at such and such? It's awesome. Those are words of praise. Those are treasuring certain things. And we gain joy not out of just hearing music that we love, but talking about it to somebody else. We do it when we celebrate our team's victory. And we, you ever find yourself texting each other, did you see that play? Did you? That's how we treasure things. Joy isn't complete until we've expressed it in praise. That's what Lewis is talking about. So it is true to say that joy produces praise, but in another sense, joy in God must overflow in praise of God for that joy to be complete. Our joy spills over into praising God personally, like in Psalm 63. Psalm 63, verses 3 through 8. Listen carefully. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. The lifting up of the hands is a, is a gesture of praise. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help 
and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Now that is a picture of a satisfied soul, a soul that is satisfied in God and spilling out in praise. Our joy spills over when we praise God to others and with others, like in Psalm 34, verses 1 through 3. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And you know, we've been looking at Philippians chapter 4 the last couple of weeks where Paul commands us to rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always, and where he, he calls us to be content in any and every circumstance. If you read that passage through, after thanking the Philippians for their gift and their partnership, he even ends in chapter 4, verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. As if to say, beginning with rejoicing the Lord has to end with this little doxology. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul's joy and contentment and gratitude culminate in a doxology of praise. So let your joy in the Lord reach a crescendo. Let it be full because you praise God. To treasure him fully, we must praise him. Thirdly, this is a time for praise because praise dispels darkness. Praise dispels darkness. Now, this is a point that I think is often overlooked in discussions about praise and treatments and essays about praise, because we know that praise is a response to God's character, to God's attributes, to God's works, to God's blessing. But what are we to do when we're faced with real hardship? What are we to do when our circumstances would say to us, God is not great. God is not faithful. God is not near to you. Is praise only for when we have been delivered? Only when our hardship has been resolved and we're through it? What about when we're discouraged? or even in despair? Can praise only be offered from the mountaintop of victory, or can praise also be declared down in the bottom of the valley of defeat and sorrow? I want you to listen very carefully and read here with me. Psalm 43. Psalm 43, beginning in verse 1. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Here the psalmist is under attack, under the attack of 
slander and lies. He is oppressed by these things and he is dismayed. And he even says in verse 2, why have you rejected me? These are, this is pain and painful circumstances that cause the psalmist here to say, to feel and to say, you've rejected me, God. Why? Vindicate me. You know that I'm in the right. And so he prays then for deliverance in verse 3. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. Send you out your light and your truth, he says. Let them lead me. Help me. And now having pled with God and set his heart on worshiping God at the altar with joy and with praise, he then preaches to his own soul, his own self. Verse 5. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So from the beginning, he feels rejected by God. At the end, he is still in the same place, but he preaches to his own soul. And he says, hope in God. I'm going to go ahead and praise him. I will again praise him. Even in the midst of pain and dismay, the writer determines he will praise God anyway. And he directs his own soul to praise God in faith. Let me give you an example of this in action in the New Testament. Acts chapter 16, verses 25 and 26. Now this is in the city of Philippi. Paul and his, his buddy, partner Silas, have been thrown into prison for preaching the gospel, causing a disturbance that they weren't trying to cause. And in verse 25, it says this, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So this isn't just quiet, private prayer and singing of hymns in the prison. They are belting it out. They are singing. And the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Now it says they were singing hymns. A hymn, by definition, includes praise. That's not all praise. There might be requests and other types of prayer. But hymns, by definition, include praise. Paul and Silas were praising God in the midst of great difficulty. How could they do that? Charles Spurgeon said, If you do not feel you can bless him for the present moment, yet forget not to bless him for the past. And when you once begin to do that, you will soon find that your praise will overlap the past and cover the present if it does not even run 
into the future. We express this praise even in one of our favorite songs here at Crossway Fellowship. Though you slay me, yet I will praise you. Though you take from me, I will bless your name. In the midst of suffering, we are to praise him. Without hesitation, I say to you that the darkest times are the times to praise God. Because when you extol him, when you exalt the worthiness of God, when you praise his goodness and his faithfulness and his wisdom and his unchangeableness, you are preaching the truth to your own soul and you are infusing it with faith. So even when your feelings are not yet there, praise him. Speak words of praise. Sing words of praise. Your own soul will have to listen. I'm not saying that if you recite words of praise, it will act like a magic potion. I am saying that if in your heart of hearts and your will, you will defy the circumstances in favor of believing God at his word and then praise him in response, you will eventually feel the joy of praise. You will know that even in the darkness. Praise dispels darkness. Fourthly, this is a time for praise because praise is the goal of your salvation. Praise is the goal of your salvation. Did you know that God has saved you so that you will praise him? One of God's great purposes in redeeming us is that he might be glorified in our praise. Let me show you how this began to be fulfilled in the first days of the church. We're told in Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 45 in the new life of the church, they were listening to the apostles teaching, they were engaging in fellowship and prayer. They were in a state of awe. Signs and wonders continued to be done by the apostles. And in chapter 2, verses 46 and 47, we find this. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so as they go about worship, as they go to the temple together, as they are eating together, they are praising God. And I believe that this praising God is public testimony. In fact, I believe that's why at the end of verse 47, the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved, is attached to this last part of this record of what the newly born church was doing. It's because they were praising God and having favor with all the people as they exalted everything that God was doing and were explaining it and giving him praise. God added to their number 
And we find in one of the richest and most revealing texts about God's eternal purposes, what God has done behind the veil, something we would never know unless he had told us, is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 6. This is one of those passages that is saturated with the sovereignty of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. All of this sovereign work, he has blessed us, he has chosen us, he has predestined us, he has adopted us according to the purpose of his will. Why? For what end? To the praise of of his glorious grace. That is the goal. That his grace might be exalted and magnified. Not our merits. Not our deserving. Not us working out the purposes of our wills. But because he has worked out the purpose of his own will. That is sovereign grace. And its goal is is that we would praise him to the praise of his glorious grace. We often talk about mission and how the Lord has called us to continue to testify and to bring the gospel to bear while he has left us here. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race. Here's our identity, right? You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? With what goal? With what end? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There you go. There's our mission stated in a different way. That we would proclaim the excellencies of him. You know, it's almost like the gospel sometimes is not really concerned with people's response, but rather that God is exalted. If you testify faithfully, if we testify faithfully to the love of God, to the sinful predicament of man and our need for his grace and how he has provided that in the death of Jesus Christ and in the resurrection of Christ unto new life, then the response is totally up to God, and God gets glory one way or the other. God is glorified. We have been chosen. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a people being possessed by God for the purpose of proclaiming His excellencies. That's praise. And when we're given a look at the heavenly throne room, what do we find? Praise. Eternal praise. Revelation chapter 4, verses through 11. 
the Apostle John takes us into the throne room of God. And this is not something that is going to happen at the future. John is witnessing what is going on all the time. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crown before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. It's a scene of worship, endless eternal praise. Our joy in God will be completed and filled partly because in his presence we will praise him without end, and we will have the capacity to treasure him and praise him with no obstructions at all. That's heaven. Yes, even now, even today, is a time for praise, because God is always worthy of praise. Even if we are walking through a valley of darkness, all the more important is it that we praise. Is your heart full of praise? Have you praised God to others? Do you talk about how faithful God has been? How good God has been? How even at times that you've felt rejected and down, that you know that God is near and that you would rather face circumstances that would seem to say that God is not faithful and yet defy them and say, God is faithful and I will praise him anyway. Hebrews 13, verse 15, the writer of Hebrews says, Through him, through Christ, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. I can think of no greater description of praise than for the writer of Hebrews to go back to be comparing it to sacrifices. We offer a praise like a sacrifice to him and that it pleases him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, what else can we do this morning? then praise you, then to offer the fruit of our lips as a sacrifice in the midst of hardship and frustration and disruption and for some illness, for others maybe even great loss, loss such as death, and say that no matter what, though you slay me, yet we will praise you, and we do praise you. We praise you for your faithfulness to us. 
we praise you for your greatness. We praise you that, that the world and all of its circumstances and every disease and illness are subject to your command. And every government, every ruler is subject to your rule, to your throne. We praise you for those things. And Lord, we ask that you would grant us endurance. We ask once again that you would help us to live faithfully and fruitfully in the midst of these difficult days, knowing that one day they will pass and we will still owe you praise. And when we have left this earth, when we have given up this life, we will still be praising you. In Jesus' name, we offer these things. Amen. God bless you this week.